Mark 3, 7 to 19. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is God's word for us tonight. Once upon a time, as the story goes, there was a goose that started laying golden eggs. And the farmer who owned the goose was, of course, pretty surprised by it at first, but he adjusted quickly. And he and his wife started enjoying all the benefits that come with having a golden goose or a goose that lays golden eggs. They had more and more ability to buy what they wanted. But over time, they got impatient. It was kind of annoying sometimes to have to wait for the goose to pop out the next golden egg before they could buy the next thing they wanted. And so one day, as they were sitting around talking, they got to thinking, you know, I bet there's something inside the goose. Who knows how it got there? But I bet there's something inside the goose. And if we just took it out of the goose, we could make as many golden eggs as we wanted to all the time. So the farmer goes out. He catches the goose. He kills the goose. He cuts open the goose. And all he finds inside the goose are the insides of a goose. Their greed led them to kill the goose that laid the golden egg, and after that, they never had any more golden eggs. Their greed undercut their gain. Now, the crowd that we read about tonight, the crowd that we read about here and throughout the Gospel of Mark, the crowd is greedy. The crowd is grasping. The crowd has heard about this goose that lays golden eggs, and they want a piece of the action. And as the crowd comes mobbing around Jesus there, the language there, it says, you know, that he had to be careful lest the crowd would crowd him. But the sense you actually get there is that the crowd was going to crush him. The crowd was going to trample Jesus. They were so eager to get something from him, whatever it was, that they were mobbing this man. And so Jesus has to call his disciples to keep a boat handy so when he's about to get knocked down and trampled, he can step into a boat and get away from these people. In Mark, the crowd is foolish. In the Gospel of Mark, the crowd is greedy. In the Gospel of Mark, the crowd is dangerous. The crowd is made up of people who don't really want to connect with Jesus. All they want to do is get something from Him. They come to Jesus just to get some kind of benefit. And so as we continue in our text for tonight, Jesus summons his disciples out of the crowd. The crowd doesn't really want to follow Jesus. They want something from him. And so Jesus goes up on a mountain and he calls some people to him. 
And as we hear this language, as we hear the language of Jesus calling his apostles, calling his disciples, we should hear that Jesus is now creating a new people. The location on the mountain is significant. In the, mount, in, on, in the Bible, on mountains, things happen. You can think maybe first of all of Mount Sinai where God gave the people the Ten Commandments and where He made a covenant with them that He would be their God and they would be His people. When you go up on a mountain in the Bible, something big is going to happen. Things get started on the mountain. And then Jesus calls these 12 men in particular to come up to Him on the mountain. And 12 was the number of the tribes in Old Testament Israel. So these people, when they thought of 12, they automatically went to God's people, to the nation that God had called to himself. So when Jesus picks these 12 apostles, it's obvious that he's starting starting a new kingdom. He's creating a new people. He's calling a group out to make something new. And Jesus summons the disciples. He summons these people to come to him. He chooses these people. This isn't a take it or leave it. Hey, show up if you feel like it. If not, that's fine. Stay over there. Jesus orders these disciples to come to him. Often as students near the end of high school these days, they start getting all kinds of college invitations. And especially if you're good in some particular academic area or you're good at a sport, you get colleges that can get fairly aggressive. They'll send you all kinds of brochures and they'll call you up and they'll have other students there call you up and they'll say, hey, this is the best school in the world. You really got to come here. We've got the best, you know, fill in the bank, blank, the best professors, the best teacher to student ratio, the best dorm rooms, the best football stadium, the best cafeteria food, the best whatever. You, you should pick to come here. But now imagine if a college representative showed up at the door of a high school and when they opened the door said, all right, you're coming to Random University. Had to come up with some name, Random Works. You're coming to Random University. This is your class list. This is your major. This is when you're going to be there. This is the amount it's going to be. Expect to see you there and then, and that's it. Now, I would suspect that pretty much all high schoolers these days would shut the door and say, I am never going there. Those people are crazy. Students pick their teachers. Students pick their schools, not the other way around. And that's how it was back in Jesus' time, too. If people were going to devote their lives to following a particular teacher, they got to choose which teacher. They got to evaluate the rabbi, the teacher. They got to think, is this someone who I want to follow or not? But Jesus reverses that. Jesus calls his people to come and serve him. And his call takes precedence over what they want. Jesus doesn't come with his hat in hand and say, hey, I've got some great things going on. Why don't you please come? Jesus says, you, you're coming with me. Now, this text is particularly about the 12 apostles, but I think there's a way that it speaks to all of us. This isn't just about those 12 people. It's about all of God's people. All of us are God's called out people. The church, all of us together, were a new people made by God. When we read the Heidelberg Catechism earlier, we read a certain line in there that says that God gathers, protects, and preserves his people. 
It is God himself who gathers us in. God works in our lives so that we come to him and God takes care of us. And when God calls us, we're summoned away from everything else and to him. And among other things, that means that our fundamental identity is in belonging to Jesus. There are lots of other things that we can say about ourselves. We can talk about how old we are, the schools we went to, the cars we drive, the places we live. There are any number of things that are part of our identity. But if we're Christians, the absolute center of our identity is that we are God's called out people. If we believe in Jesus, the foundation of our being, the very core of who we are, should be that we belong to Jesus. And so tonight, I urge you, have that be at the very root of your being. There are all kinds of other things that all of us are, all kinds of good things that we have in our lives, but our very center, our foundation, should be that we belong to Jesus. Before anything else, remember that you belong to Jesus because he has gathered us and he protects us and he preserves us. Now, along with that, Jesus calls us to be with him. Our text tells us that Jesus appoints the apostles to be with him. Him. And now at first that sounds really obvious. Obviously if Jesus summons us, then he's called us to be with him. It, it, it just makes sense. But let's not run past this point too quickly. Jesus is calling us to be with him. I think too often in the Christian life, people feel like they need to do something to make God happy with them. Too often people feel like, well, I need to get my life in order and I need to do all these good things so that God will be happy with me. No. First of all, God calls us and gathers us to Him. But then especially in our day and age, I think sometimes people feel too much like they need to run off and do things for Jesus before they've really dug deeply into being with Him. Too often people run off and think, I'm going to do great things, I'm going to serve God, before they've really dug deeply into their relationship with the Lord. We're in chapter 3 of the Gospel of Mark tonight, and Jesus calls his 12 apostles here, but he doesn't actually send them out until chapter 6. So in chapter 3, Jesus calls his disciples, and then we have the rest of chapter 3, we have chapter 4, we have chapter 5, and then finally in chapter 6, Jesus sends the apostles out. And there needs to be all that time for the disciples, for the disciples to be instructed, for them to be formed as Jesus' people. They need to see Jesus continue to respond to other teachers and to show, to show what he has to say. They need to have Jesus teach them through stories and through explanations of who he really is. They need to be with Jesus as he casts out demons, as he heals the sick, as he raises the dead. And then after all of that, after story after story, verse after verse, chapter after chapter, chapter chapter of the disciples being discipled, only then does Jesus send them out. 
I had a high school friend who was interested in serving in the military, and he ended up going to West Point to study to be an officer in the Army. And so his last couple years of high school, he adopted a really serious, I guess you could call it an exercise regime. And actually what he did is he took what West Point told him to do, and he just did it. He worked out like a madman. And he read all kinds of different books, and he started thinking through different situations and different scenarios that the Army would put in front of him. And then he went to boot camp after he graduated. He went on to West Point. And when I saw him during our college summers, he was, well, he was still doing some pretty intense things. He would tell stories about how they challenged him physically and mentally and emotionally and in all kinds of ways. And he'd tell stories about some of the things that were expected of elite people in the Army. And as he told it, if you're an army ranger, they might wake you up at one in the morning, tell you to pack up a 60-pound pack and go hike and camp for three days with five minutes of warning. Or if you're a green beret, they'll wake you up at one in the morning and they'll tell you to draw a map of a random Asian country with all the mountains, the rivers, the major cities, everything on there, and then list the last three leaders of the country and the five trading partners at one in the morning, random Asian country. Not something I could necessarily do with the United States if you woke me up at one in the morning. The military had high expectations. They had missions that they expected this guy, and they expect everyone who they train to be able to accomplish. They expect a lot. But they don't sign you up one day and then send you off to battle the next, at least not usually. The army, they prepare their people. They train you for what they expect you to accomplish. My friend spent years and years and years getting ready before he got sent out. Now, if we really want to do good for the kingdom of God, we need to have a foundation of some serious spiritual training. Before we run off and do things for Jesus, or maybe as we run off and do things for Jesus, we shouldn't just slip past this call that Jesus has for us to be with him. So even as we seek to serve Jesus in this world, let's not neglect our own spiritual formation. Let's really dig deep into discipleship. Let's learn who Jesus is and what he's up to. Before anything else, we belong to Jesus. And if we belong to Jesus, then we're called to really spend deep, intentional time with him. Now, I suspect to some of us that just sounds crazy. Why not just get out there and do things for Jesus? And I suspect for some of us that sounds great that, yeah, we can just kick back and we can learn and we can grow. And both of those are good things. And we need both of them. I think all of us probably have a tendency to lean a little bit too much in one direction or the other. But all of us need both. We need to be with Jesus But in Mark 3, we're also given a mission. In these verses, Jesus calls his disciples to be with him, but then also he gives them authority to preach and to cast out demons. And that's our third point for tonight, that Jesus gives his disciples the authority to preach in his name and also to cast out demons in his name. Now, there's a sense in which preaching is reserved only for some of us, that um, when we gather together as the church, when we worship, that there are only some people who get to get up front here and speak authoritatively, and there's all kinds of processes and parameters and things that we want to make sure people understand the Bible, and they love Jesus, and they're really going to preach what's true to the church. 
That's reserved for some people. But all of us, every single one of us, has the call to proclaim the gospel. We all have the commission and we all have the authority to speak into other people's lives, to using all kinds of different words and methods, but to call them to repent and to believe the good news about Jesus. We've all got the commission to proclaim the good news that Jesus is king and that he is bringing God's kingdom. Now, each of us will have different ways to work that out in all our lives, but I think all of us are called to be witnesses, to proclaim the good news. So that's the first thing there, the preaching or the proclamation. But I want us also to talk tonight about authority to cast out demons. And I'm guessing for most of us, that's a little bit of a stretch. We read these sections and we go, um, that's, that's not me. That, that, no, 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 not me. And I think there's, there's a couple different reasons we have for that approach, for that sense of maybe discomfort at the idea that we might have the authority to cast out demons. When I was in graduate school studying to be a minister, I had a friend named Peter, not the apostle, a different Peter, obviously. And he was, he was very solid theologically, but he had a real heart, too, for youth ministry and for evangelism. And so one of, for one of his summer internships, he went to work with an organization that sent students out on short-term mission trips to go out and proclaim the gospel internationally. So they'd come to this camp for a couple weeks, they'd have some basic training, they'd be sent out. And Peter was one of the people who stayed at that camp all summer and helped prepare kids to go. And the couple weeks that they were training the leaders, they were in the classroom, someone else said, you know, I just, I just don't feel good today. I'm just sick, I'm miserable, Ugh, it's awful. And the teacher looked around the room and said, Peter, you pray for her. Peter prayed for her. And later that day, almost miraculously, she felt better. And this was a very, you could call it charismatic camp. They really believed that people could do extraordinary things in the power of God. So because Peter prayed and this girl got healed, they thought Peter had the gift of healing. And so for the rest of the summer, whenever someone was sick, they'd come to Peter and say, Peter, I want you to lay your hands on me and pray for me and, and then I'll be healed, right? Or Peter, you know, my, my third cousin uh, broke his ankle. Could you pray that he's miraculously healed so that he can participate in this sports event coming up? Or Peter, you know, the, the teacher seemed to have kind of a hoarse voice. Why don't you pray for him so he sounds better tomorrow? All kinds of things. And it, it bothered Peter every single time. He hated it. He couldn't stand it. It was always uncomfortable, in part because he felt like people just wanted him to be the vending machine. You know, they go in, and Peter does this thing, and then God gives them whatever they want. And he didn't, he didn't like that, trans that transactional picture of how we relate to God. But then Peter was also kind of uncomfortable with this idea that, you know, somehow he would have the authority, he'd have the ability to have this supernatural gift that whatever he said would happen. He just wasn't comfortable with that. And I think we sometimes have a little bit of discomfort with this idea that God would use us in those particular ways. And I think there's a whole discussion to be had there. There is some reason to be uncomfortable. But I think the bigger point that Jesus is making here is still true for all of us. Casting out demons is part of the picture, but I think there's a bigger picture. What Jesus is really saying to his disciples is not, hey guys, I'm going to teach you how to do some crazy stuff. You are going to do some things and people are not going to believe it. 
I don't think that's what Jesus is up to. I think what Jesus is really up to is he is giving his disciples, his people, the authority to proclaim and to live out the reality that God's kingdom has come. The key message of this text is not that the disciples were going to be given superpowers. The point is that Jesus gave his disciples his authority to proclaim the good news and to live out the ways of the kingdom. So the disciples and we, they had the authority to say, Jesus is king. And they also had the authority and the call to live in God's ways, to be signposts that point people toward God's kingdom coming. And this had powerful implications in the lives of the disciples. And if you want to see what that looked like for them, go read the book of Acts, and you'll see some pretty amazing, crazy things done to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ and to show that God's kingdom was coming. But I think it also has powerful implications for our lives today. And I'm not saying you're going to go out this week and you're going to be able to cast out demons and pray and heal people miraculously. But I am saying that each and every one of us who follows Jesus has God's authority. Not God's authority to do whatever we want, but God's authority to do God's will in this world. Each of us has God's authority and God's call to work for God's kingdom. And so each of us should look for ways that God can exercise his power through us as a sign to the world. And you know, when we think about it this way, all of a sudden there are all kinds of ways that we can live out the reality of God's kingdom among us. When we participate in pads, when we help the homeless have food and shelter, even just for a night, we're making the world just a little bit more like God's kingdom. When we participate in the Hope Pack drive, as we have been for the last few weeks, we give people with disabilities at Elam the opportunity to do meaningful work. And then we provide for school supplies to go to children in Roseland who otherwise might not have even some basic things they need to go to school. When we do that, we give these little signs that God's kingdom is coming and that it's here. When we support orphanages, when we help people in need, when we support people who work for justice around the world, we're part of bringing in God's kingdom. We're part of fighting back the forces of evil and witnessing that God really is at work even through us. So if you belong to Jesus, you have this call to be part of his kingdom work. And what you do may not be spectacular. You may never make the front page of a newspaper. No one else may know all the work that you do for God's kingdom. But any work, any little thing that you do for God's kingdom is worth doing. All work done for God has eternal worth. If we think about that list of 12 disciples that we read for tonight, it's interesting how little we actually know about a lot of them. We know a lot about Simon and James and John, of course, and then a fair amount about Judas who betrayed Jesus and also Andrew and Philip and Thomas. We have a few stories about them. But we don't know all that much of anything really about Bartholomew or Matthew or the other James or Thaddeus or Simon the Zealot. I mean, presumably these were guys who did incredible things. In the power of God, they helped set the trajectory for the church of Jesus Christ. 
These were really important people in the kingdom. And yet we know almost nothing about who they were or what they did. And often that's the way it is in God's kingdom. That the people who work, there are a few headliners, a few people everyone knows about. But often the kingdom of God proceeds by people who go unnamed and unnoticed. Often the kingdom of God just goes forward step by little step. And so even if you don't feel gifted and equipped to do something amazing and powerful, well, maybe you can feel encouraged, enabled, gifted to do your small part to make the world more like the kingdom of God. None of us can do everything, but all of us can do something. The point isn't that we do amazing, miraculous things The point is that in the power of Jesus, we are able to serve God. And God in his grace uses even us to work out his plans for this world. The point isn't that we become famous. The point is that we enable other people to see a little bit more of Jesus. And in our lives, all of us can do that. Jesus calls us out of the world, out of the crowd. He summons us. He brings us into this people that he has made to be his people. We are called and gathered. We are kept safe and protected by God himself. We are called to be with Jesus. And as we live in Jesus, as we grow closer to him, we are also called and equipped to do amazing things for his kingdom. All of us, all of us have gifts from God himself, and all of us are called to use those gifts to build up the kingdom of God. We are all called to belong to Jesus, and we are all called to go out in his name. May all of us hear and heed that call tonight and always.